Wow. This is going to be a long one tonight, boy. I'll tell you that much. If I could open up your Bibles to 1 Kings 11. It's amazing um, the different responses to the, to the same exact thing. I just said, if we were to move to, today to tonight, some of you, that wouldn't even matter anything. You wouldn't care. You're not going to watch tonight. You can care less who wins. You can care less about football. Most of you, it would be a problem. You'd be upset. We got church during the Super Bowl. And so you have, you have a big decision to make. Are you going to be spiritual and come to church? Or are you going to have an earbud in your ear during church and listen to the game? Or in some churches, they have the game at church, right? I mean, they're tired of fighting the people. They just said, come to church and we'll watch the game. Um, different responses to the same exact thing. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing different responses to masks. How many people love masks? How many people don't like masks and they won't wear them? Um, they, get, they get upset about masks. They have to fly with the things on, wear them in the airport the whole time. It's, it's a pain. Vaccines. We won't, get, we won't take a poll. Who believes the vaccine is right or not? We get in the fights here. There's different things that, that happen. But what amazes me in the church is different responses to the grace of God and the opportunities that God gives us and how people respond differently. Let me give you an example. There were two different ladies, not here in this church. I'm very careful. Although I could do it, but I'm not going to do that. Two different ladies. One was a, a pretty heavy drinker, and um, she was out with a friend and got into a serious car crash to the point where they had to do face surgery on her and do different face surgery and, um, and barely made it through. She, she got through that and uh, had to do another surgery. I think there was three surgeries in all. I can't remember exactly how many surgeries she had to go through. Um, how did she respond? I'm not going to give you the answer yet. I'll, I'll wait to the end here. And then there was another lady who went in for a routine surgery into the hospital and ended up in ICU. And um, the doctors weren't optimistic and she, she wasn't going to make it. Um, but she did make it, and um, how did she respond to the grace of God in her life? Two different people, same kind of trial, and yet two different reactions. And I want us to think about that for a moment, because our reactions to the grace of God are going to determine everything we are, everything we'll ever do. And as we study the kings, we're going to look at the very grace of God. See, some people see him as evil kings, but a lot of them are. But we're going to look at the grace of God in their lives and see the response to the grace of God in their lives. And if you notice and remember from last week, we studied Solomon. And Solomon loved the Lord, but he also loved what? Foreign women. And because he loved foreign women, his heart turned from God. 
And it's amazing how just a little bit of sin, let me just tell you this about sin. Sin will always take us further than we want to go. Sin will always make us stay longer than we want to stay. And it will always cost us more than we want to pay. And, and in Solomon never thought, oh, I'm going to love foreign women. I'm going to, I'm going to love, it's going to cost Israel. It's going to cost them a divided kingdom. And it did. And God, in his mercy and in his grace, raised up adversaries, Solomon. You had Hadad, he, 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 he attacked from the south. You have Rezin, who attacked from the north. And you have this guy named Jeroboam, who attacked from within. And if you read the Old Testament, you're going to see Jeroboam mentioned over and over and over again. The kings fell into the sins of who? Jeroboam. What was that? Well, we're going to look in a moment. So who is this Jeroboam? Let's go to the Bible here. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 26. It says, now Jeroboam, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we don't know his father. We don't know. It's the only time he's mentioned. We really don't know much about him, who he is, what he is. Uh, we know a little bit about his mother. His mother was a widow, so his father was dead. Um, some That word widow is interesting because it can mean harlot. And so it's kind of interesting there. But what we do know is the word Jeroboam meant let the people be great. So he's a people person. Let the people be great. And he is Solomon's servant. So this is interesting. Solomon has adversaries on the outside, but now he's going to have an adversary on the inside. And it's, it's amazing how, how God works that all out. And he rebels against the king. He lifts up his hand against the king. So we know that Jeroboam, the, the word means that may the people be great. He's one of Solomon's servants. We know that his mother is a, a widow. And we know that he raises his hand up against the king. He's not happy with the king, King Solomon. Why not? Well, look at verse 27. They're, they're tired of building projects. Anybody ever get tired of a building project? All right, I mean, let's tell you, it causes a lot of division. That's why it scares me that being a building project because the longer it drags on, the more people get weary and they're upset. And, they're, and man, Solomon loved to build and he loved to build and he loved to force people to build. And guess what he built? He built a what? What does it say here? It built, he built a breach or a wall. Interesting, huh? He built a wall. But, but we won't go there. Verse 27. <laughs> Now, one amen, huh? Well, yeah. People are upset. People are weary of it. They're tired of it. They start rebelling against the king. And look at verse 28. It tells us a little bit more about him. He's, he's a valiant man. He's a warrior. He is a noble man. He is a man of means. He's a, he's a strong man. He's a, he's a young man. He's industrious, which means he is a hard worker. The word is used of Boaz. So, so he's, he's got money. He's got influence. He's, he, he, and he's a hard worker. And because of that, Solomon looks at him and says, you know what? You're a hard worker. You're a strong young man. I'm going to appoint you over all the forced labor. How about that? Now, what Solomon isn't thinking about, I'm going to give this guy a position that one day is going to come back to bite me because this guy's coming after me. It's amazing how that happens. I remember a friend of mine in the, in the church, he, he had a, an associate pastor, and uh, he, he brought him in, and he brought him in. Man, this guy's going to be great. And that guy wound up coming back to bite him. 
looked at him and told him, who do you think you are? He, the, the associate pastor told my friend, I could pastor this church better than you can. Solomon had no clue what he was doing. He put him over the, the all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. I, I love that proverb that says this. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Somebody who is a hard worker. It's amazing what God can do with a hard worker and bring him into positions that are amazing. And here's, here he is. Here's Jeroboam. He's going to stand before kings. He's going he's gonna to be the one. He's the one that's in charge of all the forced labor. So he's a strong man. He's a noble man. He's a leader. So what happens to him? Let's look what happens. Now, here's where it gets fun. We get to meet people in the Bible that we don't meet anywhere else. And some of you say his name a little different. All right? So how do you pronounce his name? Is it Ahijah or Ahijah? Or is it Ajita? That's Italian for a stomachache. <laughs> Here's what's interesting. When you're studying the Bible out and you get to the kings, you'll notice that they have some prophets alongside them. Some of them obscure prophets. We don't even know. We, we know nothing about Hajjahs except what we're going to see right now. I mean, they're just in this thing. David had Nathan and, and, and Jeroboam has this guy. Now, prophets were very dramatic people. Very dramatic. Isaiah walked around naked for three years. People are like, where's that? It's in the Bible. Ezekiel woke up and his wife was dead. That was a lesson to the people of Israel. God said, Ezekiel, wake up tomorrow. Don't even mourn. Don't even mourn. He woke up and his wife was dead. They were very dramatic people. They had very dramatic things to say. And they did it with a lot of object lessons. So here comes Ahijah and he's got this new cloak on. You know, he's got this new coat on. I can imagine. You know what I mean? He feels like all dressed up all night. He's walking around with his new cloak on. You know what I mean? He comes around, he's got this thing on. And look what it says in verse 29. It's about time when Jeroboam went to Jerusalem and the prophet Ahijah and his Shiloh, huh? Shiloh's in the Bible. The Shiloh night found him on the road, and Ahijah had clothed himself with a new cloak, and both of them were alone in the field. Here's how I picture the scene. You guys ever watch Sesame Street? <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. How many of you watch Sesame Street? Come on, we're all Sesame Streeters. Remember that guy with the coat? Remember him? Want to buy a letter? You remember that guy? I mean, I just, I love that guy. I just know why I loved him. It's like, kid, here comes that guy with that coat, you know. Want to buy a letter? You know, all dressed up. I could just see him as this. I, I picture, I don't know why, my mind just goes. I mean, I, I picture the highs as this Sesame Street characters. Come on. Hey, 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 hey. Jeroboam, come here. Who is this guy? Takes off his coat. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. 12 pieces. Look at this. Next verse. Hijah took the new cloak that was placed on him and tore it in 12 pieces. 12 pieces? Why 12 pieces? Well, the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, the 12 sons of Jacob. It's going to represent something. He's tearing. I could just see Jeroboam walking and saying, What's this guy doing? He's got a new cloak. What are you doing to your jacket? What are you doing? Here, take 10. 
Look what he says in the next verse. He said, take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you ten tribes. The kingdom is about to divide and you're going to have the northern part. You're going to have ten of them. Ten tribes. That's a proof. Ten out of the twelve. That's a lot. You're going to have ten of them. But there's going to be one left over. You say, wait a minute. Ten plus one is what? And it said how many pieces? Something's missing here. I mean, I'm not the best in math, but you know what I mean? Ten, one is not twelve. Right? You heard of the guy that said math wasn't my favorite subject. You know, one of my three bad subjects in English, science, or the other. I, I forget the joke. But anyway, uh, <laughs> here's one tribe. Because really, the tribe of Judah was also the tribe of Benjamin was absorbed into the tribe of Judah at this point. So the tribe of Judah was one tribe, but really two tribes. He says, I'm going to give the tribe of Judah for my sake of my servant David, for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for all the tribes of Israel. So there's going to be a division. And you're going to see this all throughout the Old Testament. Now there's a division, the northern kingdom against the southern kingdom. And you got the northern tribes and they were, they were wicked, the northern kingdom. And the, the southern kingdom was not as wicked, but they had their problems. And, and both of them end up in captivity. But from here on, it's going to be divided. Notice what happens here in verse 33. Here's the reason why. Because of idolatry. Because of Solomon's sin. Because they followed Solomon and they weren't in my ways and walking in my ways. And so I'm going to do this. But watch God's grace. Verse 34. It says this. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand. But I will make him a ruler all the days of his life. And he's talking about Solomon. He's going to allow Solomon to die. For the sake of my servant David, whom I choose who observed my commandments and my statutes, and watch this, but I will take the kingdom from his son's hand. Who's that? Rehoboam. Now be careful. Jeroboam and Rehoboam are not brothers. They're different people. But Rehoboam, he says, I'm going to take it from my son's hand, from his son's hand, talk about Rehoboam, and give you ten tribes. Look at the promise he made. I'm going to give you ten tribes. But for David, I love this, verse 36. But to his son, I will give one tribe that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself to put my name. You know what he's saying? He's saying this, look, even though Solomon sinned, even though Solomon divided the kingdom, even though Solomon did all these things, David will always have a lamp. There will always be something. Someday, one day, there is a king that's going to come from the line of David, and we know his name. What's his name? Jesus. The lamp will shine. The lamp will not be put out forever. There will always be a light. The lamp will shine. You can trust this, and we're going we're gonna to see that in a moment. He will have a lamp, because back then, when the lamp was put out, that meant the person was put out, and there was never that person. No, a lamp will shine. He will have that. For the sake of David, 
And watch this, Jeroboam. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Verse 37. You're going to reign over whatever you desire. You're going to have freedom to lead. You're going to have freedom to reign. Wow, what a privilege this is. You're going to reign. You know who else he said that to, God? You know who he said that to? King David. He said, David, you're going to reign over all you desire. He's saying that now to Jeroboam. You're going to reign over all you desire. Watch this in verse 37. You're going to be a king over Israel, but... Here's what I want from you. You need to listen to all that I command you and walk in my ways. Unlike the, the promise to David that was unconditional, this is conditional. I'm going to give you the 10 tribes, but you need to do something for me. You need to listen. You know what that means? You need to cling to God and to his ways. That's all I'm asking. I am asking as you lead these people that you cling to me. You don't listen to your own wisdom. You don't listen to your own heart. You listen to me, my ways, and you do what is right in my sight, not in your sight. Wow. Think about that. That's all I'm asking. If you do that, then here's what's going to happen. Verse 38. I will be with you, the presence of the Lord. I'm going to build you an enduring house as I built for David, and I'm going to give you Israel. Wow, what a privilege. You need to listen. You need to pay attention to my ways. You need to walk and do what is right in my sight. And here's what he says. Look, he gives hope. This is amazing. It's the God of hope. He says, thus I will afflict the descendants of David for this, but not what? Not always. And let me just tell you something. Right now, we are walking in the days of affliction. There is political unrest. There are corrupt governments. There are things going on that just take the peace out of our souls. You put on the news for two seconds and you get sick and tired of what's going on in this world. And we're wondering, what in the world is going on? We just want to live a life of peace for crying out loud. We just want to, listen, we are living the afflictions that happen because we have corrupt leaders all over the world. But here's the good news. Not always. The good news is there is a leader coming who will reign in righteousness, who will do what is right, who will govern in peace when the world will be different. But not now. So let's not get upset and get mad and everything like, oh, why is this going on? And why is this leader a liar? And I am sick of the lies. I am sick of the lies. If somebody tells you that it's a beautiful day out, get an umbrella because it's about to rain. <laughs> They're liars. And yet I'm sick of it. I hear it all the time. And then this one says this, and this expert says this, and that expert says, listen, we're never going to have peace until the Prince of Peace comes. Amen. And he says, look, you're going to live affliction. I'm going to afflict David, but not always. Not always. There's a time coming. 
So if you're Jeroboam, how do you, how do you respond to something like this? Well, <laughs> Solomon hears about it. He's got to run for his life in verse 40. And he better get out of there because he's in big trouble. But how do you respond to the promises of God? What grace that this guy comes, rips his coat into 12 pieces, gives him 10 pieces, says, you're going to reign over Israel. How do you respond? How do you respond when God makes a promise to you? Well, let me give you two options. Here it is. We got two options when we respond to the promises of God. We can either take them by faith and trust them, or we can live in fear and doubt them. Watch what he does. We can take them by faith and trust them. Do we really trust God that Jesus is coming back one day and reigning on this earth? Do we really trust God that we are safe in his hands no matter what happens in our lives? Do we really trust the promises of God when things around us are going with disarray? Do we really trust them? Well, faith or fear, those are the two options. Watch what he does. Here's what he does. Verse 26 of chapter 12. Jeroboam said in his heart, there's his problem. Right away, instead of going to God's word, he's going to where? Be careful with that one. I did it. When people come up to me and say, I just know in my heart this is right. When God says it's wrong, I'm here to tell you, God wins, you lose. But they'll come and say, I know it's right, it's in my heart. Well, yeah, I don't care what's in your heart, it's what's in God's word that matters. He says in his heart, I'm in trouble. He's worried here. Look at this. Look at the fear he has. Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. He's worried about Rehoboam. He said, if these people go to offer sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even the Rehoboam, the king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. So, so here he is in his heart. Is he thinking about the promises of God? Is he thinking that he's going to be the king of the, uh, of the ten tribes like God said he was? Is he thinking about all the promises that God said he will be with him and he'll have an enduring king? He's not thinking of any of that. He is fearing for his life. He's fearing for his throne. He's fearing for his kingdom. And he has to do something because God is not going to do it. Here's what's amazing. In his mind, he is worried about something that will never happen. And let's be honest with one another. How many times have we worried about stuff that has never happened? <laughs> Think about that. I remember when COVID hit. Is Whitefield going to continue to exist? Me and Katie were looking at each other. Now what? I mean, church is shut down. Are we ever going to open it up again? How long do I got to stand in front of a camera and nobody else? By the way, cameras don't laugh at jokes. <laughs> you guys don't either, but cameras don't laugh at jokes. Very hard. Plus, they add 15 pounds. I mean, those things are not nice. At least 15. We were worried. What's next? We were worried about whether we can see our friends in other countries, can't travel. We were worried about all these things, all these worries come into our mind about things. Instead of that, we should have been meditating on the promises of God. 
Jeroboam in his mind and his heart, he's thinking, what's going to happen? They're going to go here. They're going to go there. I'm going to lose my... He's worried about something. There's no threat. That's what amazes me. I could see if they were coming after him and there was a threat, he had something to worry about. There was no threat at all. And yet he's worried. And instead of meditating on the very promises of God, he takes things into his own hands. And here's what he does. And here's what we do. So the king consulted and made two golden calves. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you remember any of that? Anybody ever do that? His name was what? Started with an A. Ended with an N. Aaron, remember when he did that? You know, two golden calves. He said to them, look at this. This is beautiful. This is this this got me on fire. I was studying this. I was like, wow, this is it. This is this is the American church, by the way. Watch this. It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. You know what he's saying? He's saying it's too much for you to worship and to sacrifice and to go to Jerusalem and do that. I'm going to make worship easy for you. I'm going to make God easy for you. I'm going to make things easy for you. You don't have to sacrifice for God. You can just have your God your way. Make it your way. You can have God your way on your terms. Let him bless your life. It's too much for you to sacrifice. Let's make it as easy as we can for you to live for God. Welcome to the American church. It's too much for you to get up on Sunday morning. Just sit on a couch and drink hot chocolate and watch it on TV. It's too much for you to read your Bible every day. Don't do it. Just come to church and hear it once a week. It's too much for you to deny the Super Bowl. So we're going to not have Sunday night service anymore. We're going to make it easy for you. It's all about making it easy for people to believe in God. When our God, if I look at the Bible, he looked at these disciples, he said, you want to follow me? You got to do three. You got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross and you got to follow me. Oh, you got to sacrifice. We don't preach that Jesus anymore. We preach an easy Jesus, an easy God, one that accommodates our schedules. And if he gets in the way of our schedule, our schedule wins. See, I don't want you to have a cow, but I'm here to tell you, you have a cow in your life. These golden calves are different for us. Our golden calves are ourselves. We make sure that God accommodates us. And he works around us. And when he doesn't, boy, he doesn't win. And what a wonderful thing to say to people who want that. I'm going to make it easy for you. Don't travel to Jerusalem. Don't do that. Here's your gods. And so he sets up, look at this, a false altar's Placing false gods, golden calves, false worship. He appoints false priests. He even gets false feasts up. I mean, this guy is, I mean, he does all these for the people. So it's easy to live for God. He gives them a comfortable religion. And let me just tell you, that's sending people to hell, by the way. Because God is not in existence to accommodate us. God doesn't need us. 
although we have the privilege of having him. And it's so easy for good things to become the main things. And it's amazing on how much he loses and we win. He gave him a more comfortable religion. Oh, did that work? <laughs> he set up one in Bethel and one in Putin Dan, and now they have it right there up in the northern tribes. They don't even have to travel to Jerusalem. And look what it says in verse 30. This thing became a what? A sin. It was wrong. It was not right in God's eyes. It became a stomach. It put people, it, it watered down what it really means to be a believer. It watered down. And that's what happens in this world. It's watered down Christianity. It's really not a, a, a Christianity of the Bible. It's a watered down. Oh yeah, I believe in God. I know God, but that's about it. That's a watered down religion. It became a sin. Now, if I'm God, I wipe Jeroboam out right here. I wipe him out. But you know what? Here's where God is so gracious. Here is a man that set up what? False altars. False gods. He gave false priests. He had false feasts. God does not wipe him out. God warns him over and over again. Let me show you just a couple of them real quick. In his patience, he warned him by withering his hand. <laughs> I could just see it. Jeroboam, Jeroboam is, uh, Ahijah comes and Ahijah says, what are you doing with these altars? He breaks the altars. Jeroboam goes, don't you dare break my altar. And his hand withers. And you know what God does? You ready for this? He says, oh, please pray, pray, pray. I want my hand back. God gives him his hand back. Warning number one. Doesn't listen to that. Another warning comes. His son gets sick and dies. Because of Jeroboam's sin. Does that wake him up? Nope. Next warning comes. Another direct message between that, that beautiful prophet Ahijah. You need to get your act together, Jeroboam. This is not good. You, does he listen to that? No. And it made me think, how many times has God given us warnings? And how many times do we respond in a way that brings honor to him? So what happened to these two ladies? Well, the one that was drinking a lot, got in an accident, got into face surgeries and all that. She came out, she started reading her Bible. She was coming to Bible study. I, was, I remember because I was in college. She was coming to Bible study. We were so excited to see her at Bible study. She said, well, God's going to really get a hold of her heart. And then never forget, about a year passed, she stopped coming to Bible studies, and I see her again, getting drunk again at a party. This is after three serious surgeries. At least, I don't remember how many, at least that. Did she respond to the grace of God? And then there was another one. The other lady that was in the hospital that went in for routine surgery came out Happened to be my mom. When she came out, did she respond right away to grace of God? Nope, she was back in her old way. I said, what, what is it going to take for her to get right with God? It took a few months. She started going to church. She got saved. And not only that, 
And I've told you this before. She tells people, you will listen to my son on Sunday. She don't give him a chance. She's one of the greatest evangelists I ever met. One of the ladies named Roberta started listening to us in Florida. I never met Roberta. Never met her. Listen to us on Sunday. She gets saved. She said to my mother, I want to thank you for introducing me to your son and introducing me to God. Roberta died two days ago. My mother's crushed. But praise God, she's with the Lord. See, my mother responded to the grace of God. And she did something with it. You see, Paul says this. Look at this. He doesn't respond. Jeroboam, he doesn't. says he did not return from his evil way. He didn't return from his evil way. Verse 34, it became sin. And, and then later on, it blotted out his very name. But watch, watch, watch what this guy says. He says, the life of Jeroboam should instruct us. Though God wants us to walk with him in mercy, not judgment, there comes a point when God says, enough. Enough. So here's what we ought to do. We ought to respond. Look at Paul. He says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Paul says, all I am is by the grace of God. I was, I was after the, the apostles were chosen and all that. I'm the last of them all. I am what I am by the grace of God. And because of God's grace, I do something. I labor. I struggle. I serve Him. I do all that I can for Him. Because all that I am is because of Him. That's the response God wants us to make. Because time after time, we have a patient God. I am so glad that God doesn't just wipe us out as soon as we make a mistake. He could, but he doesn't. But time after time, when are we going to look and say, wow, your grace helped me to serve you all the more because of your grace towards me. That's the response he wants out of our lives. And I pray that's the response that he gets. You say, well, he hasn't gotten it yet. Well, today's the day. Today's the day to say, wow, Lord, I don't know why I'm still here. I'm here by your grace. And because of your grace, I'm going to do more for you than ever before. Help me to live for you. I don't want this comfortable religion. I want to really serve you. That the motive of your heart? I hope it is. Because tonight we're going to have church during the Super Bowl. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Let's bow before God. And somebody can go get the kids too, if you don't mind going to get the children, because we're about to have communion here, but let's get right with God. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come before you. I look at it over and over, Lord, your grace is so amazing. your patience with us and the promises that you have made to us that we often doubt and fear things that'll never happen. Forgive us, Lord. 
Today's a new day. Today's the day that we can live for you and serve you. Not on our own strength, but by your grace. The very fact that we are here today is evidence of your grace. You could have destroyed this world, and one day you will. One day your son will come back, and one day all the things that we see will burn. There will be a day when you say enough. So Lord, help us to be ready before that day. That if there's anyone here that just has a knowledge of you, but really doesn't have Jesus as their Savior. That right now would be the time. That Lord, if there's anyone here that, yeah, they know Jesus as their Savior, but really they're not living for him. That right now would be the time. Thank you for your warnings. Although they hurt at times. They cause us to reflect on life and to see what really matters. Sometimes you want us through health issues. Sometimes you want us through economic issues, whatever it may be. We're so thankful that you're a God who warns and loves us. So Lord, as we prepare our hearts right now for your table, God, help us to search our hearts. Is there anything that we're holding on to that we don't want to confess that right now in our hearts we would ask for forgiveness? You're a forgiving God. Right now between you and God, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, how is your heart before him? Are you holding on to any bitterness, any anger? Are you frustrated with life? Are you worried? The Bible says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. All means all. We don't hold on to any of them. Right now in your heart, give it to God. Lord, we thank you so much for the precious gift of Jesus Christ. Help us to reflect more on him right now as we break bread together. In Jesus' name, amen.